Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 to 5. It says, Then God gave all the people all these instructions. He said, I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, your place of slavery. You must have no other God but me. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or of any image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I want to preach about this subject tonight and look at your neighbor and just ask them, where are you worshiping? Where are you worshiping? Would you just turn your attention heavenward one more time and pray with me over the preach word tonight? Jesus, we lift you up in this place tonight and we thank you for your presence that is in this room. God, we thank you for how you moved in this morning's service in your word that spoke to us so clearly. And Jesus, we just believe that you want to do something miraculous in this place tonight. And Lord, we know where your presence is. Anything is possible. So God, we just turn our attention away from our day or our week, our month, whatever is going on in our lives. And Lord, for this next moment that we have together, we focus your, our attention on you and your kingdom and your word. And Lord, I just pray tonight that the seed of the word would fall on the good ground of every heart in this room and that your word would challenge us. God, that your word would change us and convict us and help us to walk upright in righteousness in Jesus' name. Everybody say in Jesus' Jesus name. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated tonight. Seems like my son has uh, much energy. He had a great nap this afternoon, so uh, that's all right. We were, we were practicing uh, Sunday school songs this afternoon. I like to ask him what he did in Sunday school, and so we sang a few, building up the temple. Uh, the little birdie with the yellow bill. Everybody following me? And uh, he wanted to, to sing the one about the devil. Uh, being a sly old fox. And so we started and uh, started singing it, and I will spare you and your eardrums from me singing it for you. But when we got to the part where we said the devil is a sly old fox, he decided to say, for whatever reason, maybe they teach it this way now, but he said, goat. The devil is a sly old goat. And I thought, I thought that was pretty funny, but at least it's an animal. And uh, so we kept on singing, you know, and if I could catch him, I would put him in a well, he said roller coaster. So I want you to know tonight that the devil is a sly old goat. And if we catch him, we're going to put him in a roller coaster. I don't know what that means, but just receive it tonight. That's the word of the Lord for somebody. The devil is a goat, and we're going to put him in a roller coaster. Amen. Exodus chapter 20 is where we find the introduction of the Ten Commandments. Somebody say the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments read like this. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image of any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness against your neighbor and thou shalt not covet. Now, we can probably breeze through most of these on, on good days and say, we can, we can go through the 10 and, and probably cross off five or six with these. Remember the Sabbath? I, I did that. I haven't making, made any graven images today. Uh, I didn't kill anybody. I, I wanted to, maybe. I was really close. They were getting on my nerves, but I didn't. I've got no other gods, and I haven't bowed down to any statues or any images that I've made today. I'm good. I think I'm doing all right. 
And we can go through and, and look at it as a checklist or check boxes and say, I, I did okay here, or maybe I need to make some tweaks there because I'm struggling. But tonight I want to focus our attention on commandment number one and commandment number two. Now, in 2011, I went to an in internship at a church in, in Louisiana, the Pentecostals of Alexandria. And it was a great program. I went, Pastor Matt went before me, and uh, Josh Esty, he went after me as well. And the program, it lasted about 13 weeks, and we did a lot of different things. Really, it was cool because we got to be involved in, in literally uh, every aspect of, of the church and their ministries and even just the operations that they did. So uh, we would go to jails and, and do jail ministry. We went to nursing homes and we would sing or try to, and, and we would preach. We were just a bunch of young guys. We, we did things like hospital visitation. Uh, we did kids ministry and youth ministry. We would have the opportunity to sit in the sound room with them or, or go to their staff meetings or their planning meetings. And all all in all, it was just amazing to see the ins and outs of what they did there. And uh, I was there with 10 or 11 other guys, and we lived in a dorm together, and it was great. And, and there were many things about this program that I really enjoyed. There were things that felt natural to me. I remember one time, I think we worked for Habitat for Humanity. There was just so many different things that we did. But if I'm honest with you tonight, there was actually some things that we did that I was personally uh, really uncomfortable with doing just because of, of my nature at that time. It just, it wasn't in my character. It was a little bit awkward. And so uh, I, I don't really, like, I'm getting better to this day, but I don't like soliciting strangers with something. Anybody with me? You just don't like to solicit strangers with something? Uh, I didn't like uh, talking to strangers or, or trying to pitch them something. So again, please bear in mind with me that, that I was 17 and, and I was thousands of miles away from home with people that I had pretty much just met and really don't know what I'm doing in life and have no idea who I am. And so the two things that I really, really struggled with, although they were great ministries at their church, but I just personally had a challenge was this. Number one was street ministry. So, so we would go to certain neighborhoods in, in the city and we would just walk up to people or if there was no people out walking about on the sidewalks or in the park, wherever we were, we would just start going and, and knocking on doors. And if we would get their attention, we would ask them a question, maybe build a little relationship with them. How's it going? What's your name? Is your family home? And, you know, just try to work the conversation a little bit. But after we progressed in the conversation a little bit, the question that they wanted us to ask them, and it's a great question, and, and typically we got the right answer unless somebody was being silly, but the question was this. Hey, hey, listen, uh, Bob, I, I know I just met you, but if you, if you had the option to go to heaven or hell, what would you pick? And so, of course, you would get the odd smart person that would not answer heaven, but many times the answer was heaven. And so from that answer that we would receive, we would begin to talk to them about the plan of salvation and repentance and baptism in Jesus' name and being filled with the Spirit. But it was so hard for me. It was so hard for me because, you know, you're knocking on the door, it's a complete stranger, and, and you know, asking them, we, we actually would take a baptistry with us into the streets, and we would ask them, listen, what would stop you today from being baptized? And we would baptize sometimes dozens of people on a Saturday afternoon in the name of Jesus just because we were out asking the question, what would stop you from being baptized? But I can remember, again, because I was so nervous that when somebody would say, well, nothing, it's like, really? 
You want it? You're sure. There's no pressure. This is a very low pressure situation. Listen, I'm just out here knocking on doors, talking to people about Jesus, but are you sure you want to be baptized? And many times they would say yes, and we would. But I struggle with that. It was just not in my character. But the second ministry, which was probably even more challenging, was their guest follow-up ministry or people who had just not been in attendance at the church for a while. And so what we would do is, is we would call guests and, and thank them for, for attending and just create a connection point with them to tell them that we would love to see them again. And so we would try to set up a time to connect with them for coffee or teach a Bible study and, and all of these sorts of things. And, and for those that had maybe not been attending for a while, they called that their, their MIA. They were people that were missing in action, hadn't been to church in a while and so so I'd be I'd be stressing it and sweating it and, and calling these people that I don't know as if they could see me and they were going to beat me up over the phone I don't know what my problem was but I was filled with anxiety and so when you called and nobody answered it was the best thing ever <laughs> cross the name off the list all right I got through my list we're all good and as soon as you would they would hand you another list and just say well try these ones too and you know, every once in a while, somebody would answer the phone and you would begin to talk to them and, hey, it's been a while since we've seen you. And, and the question, the question that we would ask them to not uh, maybe be insulting or try to approach it the right way was, was this question. We would ask them, hey, where, where are you worshiping right now? That was the really nice, polite way to say, where have you been? Not, not assuming that they're just not going to church, but we're just assuming maybe they're just not going here. They're going somewhere else. But it's from that question that I want to ask you the same tonight. Where are you worshiping? Look at your neighbor. Say, where are you worshiping? Now, the question is not if we worship, but the question is where we worship because in humanity, we were created to worship. We are all worshipers. And when we talk about worship on the surface, the immediate thought of worship is physical action. We think of things like raised hands or closed eyes, lifted voices, maybe somebody kneeling, crying, singing, dancing, jumping, running. These are all physical actions. But worship goes beyond just a physical action. Worship is action. Of course it is. There is an element to it that is action. But worship is also attitude. Everybody say attitude. These two things are bound together when we talk about worship. It is action and it is attitude. Here's what I mean by that. Tonight, I could come to church and, and right now in front of all of you, I could raise my hands or I could kneel to the ground, but does that in and of itself mean that I'm worshiping? If every time I raise my hands, is that signifying worship to the Lord? Not at all. I may have a, a posture of worship. There may be a physical action that I am taking that is worship, but that alone is not worship. Action without attitude is not worship. It's just action. It's just a physical motion or display that looks like worship. But when we pair our attitude with those raised hands or our lifted voices, just like we've done at the beginning of this service, it becomes worship in the eyes and ears of the Lord. Maybe it's an attitude of joy or thanksgiving or humility, faith, reverence, love. There are many attitudes or feelings that we can express as part of our worship. I want to give you an example in the scripture. 
Psalm chapter 100, verses one to five says this. It says, shout with joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him singing with joy. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He has made us and we are his. We are his people. We are the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name for the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever and his faithfulness continues to each generation. Worship is act and worship is attitude. So as we read through the Ten Commandments and, and put the check marks beside the ones that we didn't stumble over today, commandment number one and commandment number two, which we read about at the beginning, would seemingly very often get a passing grade. And they are this, just as a reminder. Number one, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And number two, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or the likeness of anything. It's easy for us to look at these two with our modern day lens of Christianity and, and religion of how we view idolatry and say that we are not failing at these two. But here is the thing about idolatry. Idolatry is sneaky and idolatry is subtle. Idolatry has this way of working its way in unaware in the lives of many people. Although many world religions do practice the worship of physical idols or statues or images that they have made, idolatry goes much further and below the surface than just a physical object that is receiving worship. Idolatry is not just an issue that we deal with, but really, when you, when you drill down into it, idolatry is the issue that we all typically deal with. When we look at sin and when we look at the Bible and what it says and, and the Ten Commandments, you can actually line them all back up to commandment number one and understand that if you obeyed the first one, you really probably wouldn't struggle with the other nine. Idolatry isn't just an issue, but it is the issue. All roads lead to the concept that is often overlooked that is false gods. You can deal with life on, on the glossy surface and the outer layers and you might never see it, but when you begin to look beneath the surface and you, be, you begin to see what was already there, it's idolatry. There are a hundred million different symptoms, but the issue is always idolatry. And so that is why Moses, he stood on Mount Sinai and he receives the 10 commandments from God. And the first one was, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. And so when God issued this command during the time of Moses, the people were familiar with a lot of gods because they had just come out of Egypt and, and they had been there for hundreds of years and, and Egypt was full of gods. Egypt had false gods and idols for everything. Everywhere you turned, everywhere you went, every different village, there was always false gods. And so they understood and they knew what Moses was speaking to them was so prevalent in the world that they were a part of and God was calling them to greater depths to walk with him and to forsake all of the false gods that they had been around for years. But the Bible's paradigm 
is different. Because when we hear God say, when we read the scripture and he says, you will have no other gods before me, we think of it naturally as a hierarchy. Meaning God has to be number one, but whatever falls after that is okay. God is always in first place. But can I tell you tonight that with God, there are no places. There is no placement and there is no hierarchy. God is not interested in competing against others or being first among many gods that you have in your life. God does not want to be part of a hierarchy. He wasn't just saying before me as in ahead of me. You can't have anything above me. You can't have any God in your life that is more important than me or that you worship more. But when we look into the scripture, a better understanding of the Hebrew word translated before me actually means in my presence. So what God is saying, it's not that you can't have anything before him, but he is saying, I don't want any false gods. I don't want any idols. I don't want any statues. I don't want any images in my presence at all. I am God and God alone, and I will not share my glory or your worship with anybody else. I am God. God does not want to. He declines to sit atop an organizational flow chart in your life. God is the organization. He's not interested in just being president of the board with many members. God is the board. And, and life doesn't work until everyone else is sitting around that table uh, in your heart and they are fired. God is God and there is no room for anything or anybody else. There are no partial gods. There are no honorary guard, gods. There are no interim gods. There are no assistance to the regional gods. God was saying, I am God all by myself, and I don't want anything else in my presence. God is not saying this to them because he's insecure. God is not insecure. He didn't feel challenged. He did not feel intimidated. He didn't feel like there would be some sort of struggle between him and these other false gods if they began to worship them. That is not what he was trying to do. Only God owns and operates in this universe which he created and he designed it and he knows how it works and he is the only one who can help us and direct us and satisfy us and save us and lead us and guide us. That is the God that we serve. And so as we read Exodus chapter 20, we see that the one true God has had it with the imitation and the false and the substitute gods. So God tells the nation of Israel to break it up, get rid of all the gods, get rid of all the idols, just get rid of them. Whatever you worshiped in Egypt, whatever you were doing back in Egypt, you just need to let it go and move on because I am the Lord your God. God. Now today, our idols that we deal with are much different than those in the book of Exodus because the idols that are so prevalent in the time and era that we live in are, do not often hold physical forms. They're not statues. They're not carvings. They're not images. They're not castings. But the idols that are prevalent in the world that we are a part of and that are prevalent in the people of God and everything that is around us, they're ideas and they are things that we chase after. And good things can become God things. Good things can become 
God things. Good things can become idols in our life. Things that God has maybe blessed us with. Things that God has put in our lives. Those things, if we are not careful, if we don't set the boundaries of our life, those things can turn from a good thing to a God thing. I want to give you an example in the scripture. Again, it's the people of Israel. It's them leaving Egypt, but it's Exodus chapter 12, verse 35. As they are leaving Egypt, we read in the scripture that they are taking gold and they're taking silver and they're taking all of these precious valuables and, and God is favoring his people. They're not leaving Egypt empty-handed. They are actually leaving in abundance and with wealth to go and set them up for future generations. They're taking silver and gold. But when we get to Exodus chapter 32 and the nation of Israel is impatient and they're, they're tired of waiting for Moses. He's up on Mount Sinai. They don't know where he is. They don't know if he's coming back. They actually take all of that gold and they melt it down and they build an idol. Hear me tonight. The thing that God blessed them with, with when they left Egypt, the thing that God had given to them when they were on their exodus out of slavery and into freedom and going into the promised land, the thing that God had blessed them with became an idol unto them. It was a good thing. It was a good thing. God was gifting them with treasures and valuables that they could use to, to buy and to sell and establish and build and, and do whatever they needed to do with it. But what they did with it was turned it into an idol. To describe the concept of idolatry more clearly, anything, somebody say anything, anything that becomes the purpose or the driving force of your life probably points back to idolatry of some kind. I'm going to say that again. Anything that becomes the purpose or the driving force of your life probably points back to idolatry of some kind. Think of what, about what you've pursued. Think about what you've created. Think about what you've worked for. Think about what you've put in all that time and effort and energy for and ask yourself, why? Why? Why did I do that? Why did that take so much of my, of my focus? Why did that take so much of my resources? Why did I focus so much time and energy into that thing? Can I tell you, if you begin to take steps backward and, and if we look into our lives and if I look into my life and in, in, in eras of my life in the past, I can look back and say, you know what? There were some things that were good, but they became an idol and they did it subtly. They did it quietly. There was no decision that was made. There was no specific line that was crossed. There was nothing that I did, but all of a sudden, something that was good began to sit on the throne of my heart. Can I tell you that it happens just that easily? Idolatry, it, it hides itself, and it just is so subtle that it works its way in, and then all of a sudden, you're worshiping somewhere that you never meant to be worshiping. You never meant to be worshiping. There are many things in our world today that can become idols, and I will name a few tonight. But it's not that we struggle with worship to false gods of other religions. 
It's not that we struggle with worshiping false gods of the Old Testament or Egypt or any other culture in the world today. It's not that we struggle with that kind of worship, but if again, we talk about what worship is, it's, it's action and it's also attitude. And if we look at where we're focusing our action and where we're putting our attitude and our emotions and time and attention, we can look at those things and ask ourselves, has this become an idol? The first thing that can become an idol to us is our identity. Our identity may be one of the biggest idols that we worship today. It may be that you are pursuing a, a social media following or you are pursuing some sort of position at your workplace or you're working on some certain abilities or skills or, or achievements that we may be chasing after, but we all of a sudden begin to wrap up our identity not in God but in things that are so carnal in nature that are good. They're good things. It's good to want to pursue and, and do good and be a good employee and, and have God bless your life, but sometimes people take that and that's how they want to define themselves, by what they do. That's, that's the world that we live in. That's, that's athletes. That's how we know who they are. It's by what they do. They place all of their emotion and all of their time into their identity, and their identity becomes an idol. They literally begin to worship themselves. If your identity is in your work or your skills or your looks or anything else, you will constantly feel like you don't measure up. Can I tell you that your identity is a harsh master? It is not a God that you want to serve. It is not. For some people, their identity has become an idol. It's not a physical object that we tend to associate with idol worship, but it's this subtle form of idolatry that is often worshiped. Many people place their value on who they are in their own eyes rather than, as, rather than who God sees them as in his eyes. Number two, money and material things. Western culture, the culture that we are predominantly a part of, has bowed down to this idol. We worship the pursuit of the American dream, so to speak, and it's money and it's possessions and it's things for generations and generations and generations. It's the pursuit of money and the acquisition of things that is actually the guiding force for many in their life, and it becomes an idol. And you don't even have to have a lot of money for money to become an idol in your life. It's not about what you have, but it's about what you're longing for. For the rich or the poor or anybody in between, money can become an idol that entraps us. And hear me on this tonight. Money is not a bad thing. Money is a tool. We need money to build churches. We need money to pay our bills. We need money to give to missions. We need money to put the gospel around the world. But money can become an idol that people search after. Many chase after things like their physical appearance, always trying to do something to look better, whether it's makeup or jewelry or new clothes or even something as good as trying to be healthy and fit and active, and they are pursuing this image that the world is putting before them, and again, they begin not to worship the creator, but they begin to worship the creation, which is themselves. Entertainment. We are obsessed in our culture with being entertained. It's Netflix, it's vacations, 
It's podcasts, it's Facebook, it's Instagram, it's YouTube, it's TikTok, it's everything in between. We, we love entertainment in all of its forms. And love actually may not be a strong enough word, really. Many people become addicted and they become obsessed with these things. And again, as, 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 as with other modern day idols, it's not just the entertainment that is bad. Entertainment can be a good thing, but when our lives become all about the search for entertainment and the chase of the best experience we can find, it will leave us empty on the inside. It becomes an idol. Phones, technology, we don't even have to go down that road. People literally addicted to devices that can't do anything for them. Family and relationships. This is a tough one, but the truth is that even something as good as family and relationships can become an idol. Let me be clear. Our families are a blessing from the Lord. Our spouses and our children are a blessing from God. The Bible is clear on that, but, but we have the tendency often to worship the gifts rather than the giver. And for some, their family, their spouse, and their kids, they become an idol to them. They do everything to please them and nothing to please the Lord. They do everything to make their life better and everything to give to them and everything to worship them and have nothing left to give to the Lord. Influence and popularity Social media, again, projecting this image and, and creating this, these famous people that are gaining influence and becoming really, for many young people in the generation that we are a part of today, they are becoming role models and taking all of their time and attention and energy. Number eight, this is a tough one, but let me tell my story. Under entertainment, sports can become an idol. Sports can become an idol, whether it's watching or taking part. And I played sports growing up, but can I tell you that there are seasons of my life that I, I can promise you that just playing a simple game like basketball pulled me away from God in ways that I never, ever intended. It was my, my 12th grade year. It was my final year of high school and, and all of my friends were playing. And I said, you know what? It's my last year. I'll probably never play again. But guess what happened? Do you want to know when practices get scheduled? Sunday night at 7. That's a tough time slot when you want to go to church. And so I had made a rule at that point where I would only go to every second practice. Can I tell you? I'm speaking for myself. I'm not speaking for anybody else in the room tonight. That's a regret that I have because something as simple as a game with a ball that goes in the hoop took the place of God in my life for a season. It became an idol unto me. It became an idol in my life. Now, you may be sitting in the room tonight and saying, I'm not sure if I'm struggling with idolatry. I'm not really sure if, if this is something that is applicable to me and you're searching your heart and looking through your conscience and saying, God, is there anything that is in my life that has taken place of where you need to be? Here are just a few clues to figure out if something for you has become an idol in your life. Number one, it's what I most enjoy spending time on. 
Number two, it's what I most love spending my money on. Number three, it's what I enjoy talking about the most. Number four, hear me tonight, it's what I fear losing the most. And number five, and I just related to this in just, just a moment ago, but it causes me to disobey or distance myself from God. Idols, false gods, things that are good but have become gods in our life, they will cause you to disobey and they will cause you to distance or separate yourself from the Lord in a way that you never wanted to do. We can come back to the music tonight. Joshua chapter 24 Verses 14 to 15, Israel at this point, they, they have a new leader. Moses is, is gone on and they, the Israelites have really not heeded to the voice of the Lord. It's been up and down and, and we know the history of Israel coming out of Egypt and their, their struggles to get to the promised land and everything that God had done in their lives because of the idol worship that they were a part of, their, their disobedience to the Lord that had just brought them out of slavery. And now Joshua is in charge and he begins to speak to the people and he says this. He says, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. He says, throw away the gods of your ancestors, the gods your ancestors worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose you for yourselves this day who you will serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living in today. And then Joshua goes on to say this, and we know these words very well. He goes on to say, but as for me and for my house, we will serve the Lord. He says, you can pick. If you want to serve the gods of your fathers, the idols that previous generations used to worship at, you go ahead. If you don't want to do that, and you want to worship the gods of, of the land that you are in, the culture that you are a part of today, you go ahead. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua, he doesn't tiptoe around what he wants to say. He gets right to the point and he throws down the challenge to everybody listening. It's time for the people to make a choice. You can follow the Lord God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or they can choose a different God. It's time to select one and follow after it. And Joshua, he leaves it up to them. He says, it's up to you what you want to do. But I can tell you this much. Me and my family and my sons and my daughters and my grandkids and my household, we are going to serve the Lord. But you must make a choice. And please note that there was no option to just not serve a God. There was a choice that had to be made. You could serve the old gods, you could serve the new gods, or you can serve the one true living God. Would you stand with me tonight? There was a man in the Bible, in the book of Judges, and the Lord looked upon him. His name was Gideon. We pick up his story in Judges chapter 6, verse 11. It says, the angel of the Lord came and, and sat beneath the great, great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abizar. Gideon, the son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of the winepress to hide grain from the Midianites. 
And the angel of the Lord peered unto him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. He was a mighty man of valor in the eyes of the Lord. And Gideon replied, Sir, if, if the Lord is with us, then, then why is everything that has transpired happened to us? And, and where are the miracles that our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord, he brought us up out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and, and has handed us over to the Midianites. And the Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. The call of God was on Gideon. Gideon was going to be a, a deliverer in the nation of Israel. God had looked down and, and sent an angel to talk to him and said, you are a mighty man of valor. Go and do what I am commissioning you to do. But when we skip down just a few verses to 25, it says this. It says, that night the Lord said to Gideon, take the second bull from your father's herd and the one that is seven years old and listen to this next part. Pull down your father's altars to Baal and, and cut down the Asherah pole standing beside it and then build an altar to the Lord your God here on this hilltop sanctuary, laying the stones carefully and sacrifice the bull as a burnt offering on the altar using as fuel the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down. God had something in store for Gideon to do. There was a calling, there was a ministry that was going to affect thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people. But the first step for Gideon was when God called him and said, Gideon, before we get there, we've got to get rid of some other altars. Gideon, before, before we get into what I'm asking you to do, before you are a deliverer and you're going to help win battles and, and victories and set the people free, before we ever get there, Gideon, there's something we need to take care of first. We need to go and we need to tear down the altar of Baal and we need to cut down the Asherah pole and make sure that the idolatry, that the pagan worship, that the worship to any other God stops here. And if we start there, Gideon, I will give you the victory. I believe for our young people, for our young married couples, for our elders, for our seniors, for our young families. Can I tell you that there is a call of God in our church and in, our, in this room tonight that God is wanting to use us to set other people free, to tell them about God, to, to witness to them about salvation and, and talk to them about Jesus because they are so hurting in the world that we are a part of today. But it starts with tearing down altars to things that we may be worshiping. It starts with going to that altar of Baal, figuratively speaking, say, you know what? I'm not gonna worship this anymore. I'm not gonna do this anymore. I'm not gonna let anything take the throne of my heart. God, you and you alone are Lord and only you deserve my worship. Only you deserve my worship. Often idols are hidden in plain sight. We don't necessarily see them. It's not that they're trying to operate in the shadows, but they just try to blend into everything that we are doing. And they take us places we don't want to go, and we end up doing things that we never intended doing. But the call of God in this room tonight is just like Joshua said, you have to choose today, who are you going to serve? 
is entertainment, is family or relationships, is, is sports, is anything else going to take the attention that only belongs to God? Or are you willing to dethrone that God in your life and say, God, you know what? I'm giving it all to you. I'm giving it all to you. Would you pray with me tonight as the worship team comes? And would you just search your heart and ask the Lord to speak to you and, and reveal to you in the secret places of your life if anything has become an idol? I'm going to lead us in prayer tonight, but I ask that you would pray with me. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your spirit that is in this room tonight. And God, you and you alone are worthy of our worship. And so God, we come before you tonight humbly. Or would you lift your voice with me tonight, church? God, we ask that you would search us and see if there be any wicked thing inside of us. Lord, if there is something that has sat on the throne of our heart for longer than it has ever deserved, God, I pray that you would show it to us. God, that you would reveal it to us by the power of your spirit tonight and that this altar would not just be a physical location that we come to tonight, but God, this would be an altar that we come to to tear down other altars that we have in our life. God, I just pray in this room tonight that your spirit would search us. God, if we've placed anything above you, but not just above you, God, if we've placed anything in your presence, if there's anything that is trying to take glory and trying to take our worship and trying to take our focus and take our attention, God, I pray that you would reveal it to us tonight. Oh, we worship you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. Oh, we worship you, Jesus. We worship you. Rebaka soto rabaka yalabo shoto rabaka. Merabo soto rabaka yalabo shata. Lord, you are a jealous God. You are a jealous God because God. You love us so much that you don't want to share our worship with anybody else. God, you love us so much and you know that those other things are not good masters. They are not good gods. They will lead us to emptiness and brokenness. And so God, in your pursuit of us, God, in your love for us, you said, I don't want to share that with anybody else because I know how this story goes, but I alone am God in your life. I want to open up this altar tonight. If you want to come to this altar right now and just lay some things before the Lord, if, if you want the Lord to search your heart and search your life and, and just ask Him when you get here, God, is there anything in my life that has put, been put in place over you? God, is there anything good in my life that I've made an idol? Is there anything in my life that has just been sitting on the throne of my heart that doesn't deserve to be there? God, search me tonight. Would you make your way to this altar tonight? And when you get here, would you pray that in your own words? Oh, hallelujah, Jesus.